The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. We here at Stackburger are excited to bring Stefan Diggs to Buffalo with our new Can You Diggs It Burger. That is one patty of the bacon blue, one patty of our award-winning demon burger, one patty of our Vinny. Can it get bigger, folks? How about one patty of our roast burger, smothered in barbecue sauce? Can you digs it, sucker? That's quite a burger. Now, now, look, I like a good burger, but Peter, I like to be able to actually fit the burger in my mouth. I want the two buns and the burger in between, and I can I can handle two patties if I have to, but there's no way any human being is going to have a chance at eating that thing. It looks good. It made me hungry. It made my stomach growl watching those patties get piled up one at a time, but that's the can no, you dig it burger. True, Mike, 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 Andre the Giant could have eaten that. That's true. He's that's the true. one and person you- in our lifetime who could have fit that burger in his mouth. The key to a thick burger is just smash it down as flat as you can, and then maybe you have a chance to consume it. But uh, that's then in you're taking Stephon the fun Diggs. out of it. Yeah, that's true. Newest member of the Buffalo Bills, traded by the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, we had Brandon Bean, the guy who pulled off that trade for Buffalo, on PFTPM earlier this week. The full interview is available at the PFTPM podcast. And a lot of things going on this week as we get – closer and closer to the draft. And as the NFL, Peter, is moving toward the first ever and hopefully first only virtual draft with all of the coaches, general managers, and owners at home, there there are issues. There are potential glitches. And they are trying to plan for everything they possibly can. You had a lot of reporting on this in your Football Morning in America column, but they got 13 days to get this ready, and they're going to do everything they can to get it ready. But one of the reasons to tune in and watch the draft, beyond the fact that there's really nothing else to watch when it comes to sports, you never know what's going to happen next. And I think that quality for this draft is going to be more pronounced than it's ever been. 
I would agree with you, Mike, but I'm not, I'm not in the camp that says, oh my God, they, somebody might have to draft using a cell phone or somebody might have to do this. I mean, really, who cares? I, I don't, I mean, if you decide to have the draft and you know that Dave Gettleman is sitting alone in his house uh, or maybe with an IT guy in his house, you know, I, are you concerned that something could get messed up? Yes. But here's what I was told yesterday by somebody in the NFL, that each organization is going to have multiple redundancies for every task that it has to provide. In other words, you're not just going to have one way to get all your scouts in or to get your coaches in. You're going to be able to have multiple screens so that if you have Microsoft Teams and something goes out with that, then you could go to Zoom. And, you know, if there's a blackout in your vicinity, in your neighborhood, you are going to be able to communicate by landline or, or, or you know, or whatever. But there's going to be multiple ways for you to do this. And look, I was talking to Tom Telesco, the Chargers general manager, about it this week. He's on my podcast this week. And one of the things he said is he's got two middle school boys and he is giving them a task on that night. They're going to keep who's coming off the draft board so that even though he'll he will have that, um, you know, on his computer and he'll be able to look and see who's remaining at everything. He's going to have his sons do it like, you know, written down just so that, you know, there's going to be multiple uh, fail safes to make sure that he doesn't mess up and and announce that he wants to take somebody who's already been taken. On draft night, Mike, I can tell you, in my opinion, I think it's going to be much ado about nothing. Yeah, but I think Telesco is doing that with his kids just to keep them occupied so they don't go get on the Xbox or the PlayStation and start sucking away bandwidth <laughs> that otherwise is going to get to vote. We've had that happen with, with Chris Sims trying to do the show from home. He had to tell young Philip to quit playing Fortnite so he could get a better connection when we were recording videos back before we were back live again a few weeks ago. All right. Um, other things that are happening as the draft is approaching, 58 prospects are going to have cameras in their homes. And I'm told that there's going to be two cameras. There's going to be one camera that's always on that's going to capture the reactions in this virtual green room. And then when the player is picked he's going to walk over to the camera simulating the walk across the stage and he's going to interact with the commissioner who will be presumably at his home as well and then there's going to be a separate camera an interview camera that the player will then turn to to be interviewed by people like Susie Colbert Deion Sanders whoever that way so they're trying to simulate the experience they have 58 players and they hope that that spreads over the three days of the draft and it, uh, you know, it's, it's the next best thing to being there, I assume, and this is the way it's going to play out, and this is just another aspect of this unprecedented virtual draft, Peter. Mike, I think the interesting thing is going to be the telecast itself. You know, and as I reported Monday that uh, NFL uh, Network and ESPN are very likely to do a joint telecast, meaning that if you turn on NFL Network, on your TV on Thursday night, the 23rd, you're going to see the exact same, uh, you know, the same broadcast as you see on ESPN. And it's going to be very interesting to see. And as I wrote on Monday, look, ESPN and NFL Network are not exactly Yankees, Red Sox in terms of rivals, but 
there is some rivalry between the two places. <clears throat> and it's going to be interesting to see who is actually going to be on from NFL Network. Obviously, Rich Eisen, uh, personnel czar, uh, Daniel Jeremiah will certainly have some role. Maybe Kurt Warner, maybe some others. But the people who don't have the roles, I'm wondering, what are they going to do that night? Are they going to make like home videos? Are they just going to be sitting there kind of reporting in a wildcat fashion? I mean, those are the kind of things that maybe it's just in our little media world, but I'm fascinated to see, you know, who's included, who isn't included. It is going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. It's going to look a lot like the news shows we now see with a lot of AirPods and a lot of backgrounds that you wonder, boy, that was a curious choice to put the camera in front of the person by that wall or that bookcase or whatever area of the house it is. And that's how it's going to be because it's all running through Bristol. And yeah, there are going to be people from NFL Network involved, but maybe not as many as people from NFL Network initially were led to believe. ESPN has kind of taken this thing over and uh, they're going to be spread out all over the place, reflecting the current reality of the country and trying to thread that needle one thread at a time as they bring all of those different messages and camera angles and audio together. One other thing about the situation in the prospects' homes. Now, I'm told initially the league strongly discouraged having anyone in the house who doesn't already live there. And that is uh, sensible because in most of these states and localities, there's a stay-at-home order, and there's no exception for, I have to go over to my cousin's house on the night he's going to be drafted. So the NFL started with strongly discouraging, then said, if you're going to have people who don't live there, they have to be at least six feet apart. And now Mike Garofolo of NFL Media says the maximum limit in that shot of that always on camera is going to be six people presumably whether or not there's more than six people living in the same household. So, uh, look, th this is something the NFL has to be vigilant about. In the past, they've been vigilant about guys who have sponsorship logos and hats on, and Sasquatch was in a shot one time. You've got to be sure that you're sending the, rest me the right message to the audience and that the people are complying with the basic rules regarding the stay-at-home order and the congregation of people in one location, Peter. No question about it. And I think, you know, I asked Justin Herbert about that yesterday and he said, well, I've got my immediate family and now I need to figure out who else can be there, you know, in my home the night of the draft. I think he's got two brothers uh, and obviously his parents. But, you know, and he also told me yesterday, Mike, he's got an older grandmother uh, who's in either a nursing home or assisted living facility. I forget what he said but that he has not been able to go visit her, you know, recently because of this. So it's going to be interesting to see who is going to be in everyone's house and, and, and how many people are going to be able to be, as you say, in that shot. Because clearly the NFL, one of the things that the NFL wants to do is send the right message to people. They don't want to be having, uh, you know, players having huge draft parties. And, and that's why... You know, as Garofalo says, that's the reason why they're going to have to do that. Tom Brady already in the house that Derek Jeter built in Tampa. That's where Brady is going to be living during his time with the Buccaneers and spent a couple of hours on Wednesday talking to the great Howard Stern. Peter, we talked about the looming Tom Brady-Howard Stern interview last week on this program, and they played a clip of it on Tuesday on Stern's show because Howard Stern and his producer Robin were – 
we're, we're very confused by the fact that the people in the sports media actually cared. And it's like, I'm confused that they're confused because it's the greatest radio interviewer of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time with a reputation for saying absolutely nothing. Something's got to give. And what ultimately gave was Tom Brady was more candid, more open, more, uh, more effusive, more descriptive, more, more human than he's ever been. There's two takeaways I have from that. I've never heard Tom Brady talk publicly about his relationship with his wife. That was revelatory. The other part of it that I thought was interesting is that because this is just my opinion, Mike, okay? thought it was interesting to see him come to the defense of Bill Belichick. And, you know, so many people in and around Boston, in the media, in the national media, everything, you know, basically said that, uh, you know, there was a major problem between Belichick and Brady. And Mike, as I wrote at the time, okay, this was not Belichick's fault. This was not Brady's fault. This was life, okay? If you've done the same thing for two decades and you want to do something different, It doesn't mean you hate the guy who's your boss. It means that maybe you don't love the guy, but you truly appreciate what he's meant to you in your career. And now you want to do something different and have a different boss. That's what this means. I will always believe that Tom Brady, the day that he steps on the, uh, you know, on the stage in Canton, Ohio in 2028 or whenever it is that he goes into the Hall of Fame, that he will hug Bill Belichick for 15 seconds and he'll mean it. So those are the two things that really interested me and I thought was I, I thought was very enlightening about his time with Howard Stern. I was very, very taken aback by his willingness to talk publicly about the letter that his wife gave him outlining yes. why she's unhappy with the relationship. And that's why he stopped being as involved in the OTAs. And look, from her perspective, when she marries the guy, she's not thinking he's going to play football until he's 45. She's assuming that th- these right. guys get out of it by their late 30s. And <laughs> she didn't sign on for this much time and this many years being devoted to football. And I remember, Peter, after Super Bowl 51, when Tom Brady came back from the 28-3 to deficit, the Patriots win. She said, this is the perfect time to walk away. And I think she wasn't kidding about it. And so here we are, three years removed from that. And, and you have to get the right balance. And to me, that was the most refreshing aspect of it. Because we all have those trade-offs in our relationships with our spouses. And, you know, there, there's this, this strange reality, this fairy tale that... Tom and Giselle seem to inhabit. And it's kind of nice to see that at the core, it's no different than what the rest of us deal with. There's a give and take. There's a balance. And if it ever gets too far out of balance, the other half of the partnership gets upset and says something about it. And that's okay. That's how you restore the balance. You know, it's like I just, you know, sitting home and and having to be at home for the last month or whatever it is. Uh, I've, you, we've all binged some shows and I've been watching this show on Netflix called the crown 30 episodes about the life and times of queen Elizabeth. And look, I'm a little bit of a history nerd, not as much as a lot of people, but I really am. And I was fascinated with it. 
And one of the things that really hits home watching that and not necessarily comparing it apples to apples to Brady and Giselle, but one of the things that occurs to you is that there's there are things done for public consumption and then there's what's done behind the scenes. And I agree with you, Mike, that in my opinion, the, the thing that really kind of knocked the block off of me was when he started talking about you know, that letter and his relationship with his wife and his family. I thought that was really good, really honest of him. Um, and, and I think it also shows you, maybe that's the reason everybody said, man, why is Brady doing this? Why is he doing this? I mean, he does have a high-powered publicist who I'm sure had something to do with it. But I think in general, I think Tom Brady got a kick out of doing that the other day. Did you hear anything? And I didn't listen to it all, okay? And I listened to a lot of it, you know, after it happened. But did, did you didn't hear any sound of him like, hey, can we hurry this up? I mean, it was like he was on a shrink's couch and the session went long and 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 he was fine with that, you know. And so I, I was I thought it was refreshing. I think your word's right. And, and that is a credit to what Howard Stern has built over the years, that he has created the reputation where if you agree to get on his couch, you are going to open up. He doesn't even have to try anymore. Right. You know, by agreeing to do it, where this is going to lead. And it took a while to get him there. But he got there, and he was more candid than he's ever been in his entire life. So, look, I mean, Howard Stern is absolutely the best in the business when it comes to interviewing, even if it takes two hours to crack that shell. It was worth it. It was a great conversation. And I don't know what more Tom Brady can ever say now. I think he said it all. I think if he never says another word, I'd be fine with it. So, right, we've got more well, words you to know say. What, Let's, though, you know, go ahead. I, let me just say one last thing. The one thing he has to he, he can talk a lot about is Tampa Bay. It almost seems like it was like he was forcing Bruce Arian's name into that conversation. You know, I mean, it was all about kind of the past and 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 all that. So there's a lot of the future, I think, that's still to be written with him. In the not-too-distant past, even though it feels like a long time ago, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. They now are bringing back their 20th starter. How much of an advantage will that be for the Chiefs in 2020? More PFT Live right after this. The Kansas City Chiefs have managed to keep most of their starting lineup in intact. Rashad Breland reportedly sticking around on a one-year, $4.5 million deal. That comes from Rob Demosky of ESPN. Com. They have only lost guard Stefan Wisniewski, who signed with the Steelers, and linebacker Reggie Ragland, who signed with the Lions. The other 20 starters are all back. They found a way to keep Sammy Watkins with the restructured contract. And boy, that continuity is going to be important for a couple of reasons. First of all, they're the defending Super Bowl champions. You want to keep a good team together. But secondly, in a year where there's no offseason program, who knows how much training camp there's going to be to bring back Patrick Mahomes and company with 20 out of 22 starters, that is incredible, and that just makes it even more likely that the Chiefs are going to be deep into the postseason. And I don't want to say probably back in the Super Bowl because there's a lot of football to be played, but they are set up well to have another Super Bowl run in 2020, Peter. Hey, look, the one thing when I saw, I, I think the most important thing, even though I do think that, he has been paid a little bit more than he's probably worth. 
I think it was it was really important to get Sammy Watkins back for this particular offense because as you know, speed receivers Mike get hurt. You know, a lot of times they're brittle. Uh, it's hard to imagine Watkins, Hill, and Hardman all playing 16 games, and that's why you bring back. That's why you bring them back, and that's why their receiving core. You know, their top guys in the receiving core and at tight end are all coming back. And I think if nothing else, that allows you to play opening day whenever that is with a distinct advantage over almost every team in the NFL. Because not only were you the best when the sport was last played, but now you come into a season where everybody is going to be, to some degree, doing the adjustments on the fly and the Kansas city chiefs will not be adjusting. Yeah. And it really is going to make it even harder to keep up with the chiefs in their division and in the conference. And uh, Patrick Mahomes is the key. And Peter, you know, the idea that Mahomes is so good off script in a year where it is going to be more challenging to create a script and implement a script that gives him another advantage because if it's just go out, run around, and somebody get open, we've seen what he can do when the play becomes that anyway. So the less prepared teams are for this season, the, the more advantage the Chiefs have from the perspective of the unique gifts that Patrick Mahomes possesses. And not only that, Mike, remember he was on the LeBron James TV show on HBO where he talked about, hey, uh, I, I haven't really hit my stride as far as, uh, you know, being able to, you know, know this offense and to be able to go to the next level in that offense and and to be, you know, mentally at one with Andy Reid, whatever it is he said. But, I mean, I think to some degree that's him saying, hey, I still have a, a ways to go to improve, which is fine. But it was Patrick Mahomes who came to the sidelines you know, when they had to have that huge play down the stretch and when they had to find Tyreek Hill down the field. And you can blame the 49ers coverage. You can do whatever you want. But when when Patrick Mahomes came to the sidelines and he talked to Eric Bieniemy, as soon as he gets there, he asked if they can run the play, obviously, that they ended up running to make that play happen. And so to me... I think this is almost symphonic, what he and Andy Reid have going. Maybe it's not Andy Reid, Alex Smith to that level quite yet, but it's very, very darn close. And it's definitely moving in that direction. Before we take a break, just give me your quick knee-jerk reaction. Sims and I addressed this question yesterday in PFTOT. A fan submitted it. Who's the bigger threat to the Chiefs in that division, the Broncos or the Chargers? Um, I would say the Chargers. Um, I, I, I think for two reasons. Number one, um, there were so many games that they were so close last year. And I'm not blaming it on Phillip Rivers. I'm just saying he threw a lot of inopportune interceptions last year. And, and to me, I still think, especially with that defense, the two things about that team, Derwin James for 16 games, which I assume he will be. He was a gigantic loss for the first half or more of that season. And then I also think 
their secondary gets a huge boost with one of the best nickel guys in football and Chris Harris. And to me, I think they are going to be significantly better on day one, even though they've lost Phillip Rivers. I'm concerned about the quarterback position with the Broncos. I love what Drew Locke did late in the season, and I think the sky is the limit for him. Bradley Chubb back. Von Miller still Von Miller. Second year of the Vic Fangio defense. I personally think the Broncos, they feel like, to me, they're ready to turn around multiple years of underachievement and really get not not that they're going to give the Chiefs a serious run, but I think they're going to emerge as the number two team in that division. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we're just two weeks away from the draft. Who are the general managers that really need to nail it this year? That'll be our Friday draft on PFT Live right after this. I got to do this down. It's too, it's, it, it hides my beautiful face. We're open for business. You know, I, you know again, I'm gonna, I, whatever we do is going to be in our best interest. Joe was very thoughtful and intentional about the staff that he hired. Uh, and it's a real interesting group of people. One thing you have taught me very well is there are no throwaway lines anymore. You know, it's, when you say resources, you're talking dollars. You know, the bottom line is last time I checked, it's really difficult to complete a pass when you're on your back. I've done that study. <laughs> All right. High-level analytics there. Hard to complete a pass when you're on your back. Although I remember Doug Williams doing that back in the late 70s, and we were like 13, 14 years old, and that's all what we we tried to figure out how to do that. Throwing a pass while you're on your rear end, it's not the easiest thing to do. Dave Gettleman, one of the general managers who is facing some heat. Jake Glazer pointed out in a recent item for The Athletic that Gettleman is on the hot seat and needs to have a good year this year or he will not be back. So today's draft, and we tried to phrase it, as positively and, and as aspirationally as possible, <laughs> GMs that really need that, that that really need a solid draft. And Peter gets the trivia question for me. If he gets it right, he gets the first pick. Peter, the Dolphins currently have 14 selections in the upcoming draft, the most of any team. Who is second with 13 picks? And I'll give you a hint. They won their division last year. Um. Geez, I don't know who it is. Um, I would say I'll guess the Patriots. Yeah, there you go. I shouldn't have given you the hint. Yeah, it, it was it was a, a multiple choice at one out of eight versus one out of four, but you got it right. The Patriots do have thirteen Thank picks. You. They're second behind the new uh, the Miami Dolphins, which means you get the first pick in today's draft. The GMs that really, really, really need a solid draft. I was going to say Dave Gettleman before you uh, before you ran the Glazer thing because I don't know it seems very logical that you know this is the team that they're nine and twenty three the last two years and uh, this this has been an organization that you know Mike this is not certainly not all Dave Gettleman's fault certainly but the problem is that. Dave Gettleman is with this franchise at a point in time that the fans are, in the words of Mike Florio, salty. This is a season where the season tickets were going to be way down anyway. Uh, not necessarily that that they, that people were going to give them up, but you know they were they were having trouble with even before the coronavirus happened, and also all of the suites 
needing to be uh, re-upped this year. This is the 11th year of the stadium. They're either on the fifth uh, after five years or uh, after 10 years, these the suites have to be renewed. So that was going to be an issue. This is a team that you can't say this about the Giants for a lot of years going back. You'd have to go back pre-George Young. This team has to win right now. And I'm not saying they've got to win the Super Bowl. I'm saying they've got to be competitive. They've got to be at least 500 in their division. Or I think Dave Gettleman is in serious trouble. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of having your GM and your head coach on different tracks. And if you're going to get rid of your head coach, I think you need right. to get rid of your GM. And having your GM on the hot seat, then next year you have a GM who would have never hired Joe Judge, who has to work with Joe Judge until he can justify firing Joe Judge and hiring the guy that he would have hired on the way in. you got to get everybody on the same page. And the Giants could continue to be on this kind of cockeyed approach for a couple of years to come if they do move Dave Gettleman after this season. But the draft is going to be a big factor in that. For me, I'm going to stay in the NFC. I'm going to go over to the North. I'm going to go to the GM who traded up a spot three years ago to draft a quarterback not named Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson, and that is Ryan Pace. Not that he's on the hot seat per se, although I think he kind of is, but he needs to nail this draft with limited draft assets. He needs to find a way to get the most out of it. If that means working the board and trading down, he's going to have to have a great undrafted free agency run where that land rush is going to be even more uncertain than usual because they haven't done the workup on the guys who don't make it into the 250 or so selections. I think it's huge for the Bears to come out of this draft with contributors, even as they continue to pay for the Khalil Mack trade. They've got to do something to elevate this team because Ryan Pace will never live down the fact that he traded from three to two to draft not Mahomes or Watson, but Mitchell Trubisky, the guy that they've wisely put in a position where he's going to have to earn his job this season in a battle with Nick Foles. You know, Mike, I'm going to I, I look obviously Ryan Pace is in a is in a jam but I think the next guy on my list right now is going to be Dave Caldwell of the Jacksonville Jaguars look everybody knows right now that that the Jaguars have underachieved they basically stripped their team of an awful lot of really good players you know the Calais Campbell trade obviously uh being the most recent illustration of that so they've got to restock their team and be competitive this year, in my opinion, for Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone to keep their jobs. Since noon on the day of the AFC Championship game in the 2017 season, if you go back to that day, the Jacksonville Jaguars, since that day, with a championship-caliber team, a Final Four team, the Jaguars are 11 and 22. And right now, if Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone, they're going to be a pair. You know, if they don't have a surprisingly good year, I think they're both going to be gone. Yeah, you know, a sense emerged, Peter, a few weeks ago that the Jaguars are in some way tanking because of the guys they traded away. But the reality is they're not because their owner has made it clear he's got expectations that remain high. And what they're trying to do is retool the roster, move on from guys that didn't factor into their future. They still have a good young nucleus of talent, but a lot of guys who were there are gone. They're trying to rally around Gardner Minshew, see what he can do as a sixth round pick who has become the starting quarterback and 
they need to win and they need to get some pieces around him to win. Or you're right. There's going to be a house cleaning coming in Jacksonville sooner rather than later. All right. I'm going to go to Houston where Bill O'Brien is a first year GM in title, although he got to kind of dabble in the gig last year in power. And this isn't about getting fired. This is about not being ridiculed by fans and media for being one of the worst general managers in the history of the league. Because whether it's the Jadavian Clowney trade, whether it's trading for Laramie Tunsil and not signing him to a long-term contract, whether it's giving away DeAndre Hopkins with a not ideal PR plan for making people understand why they made the move. And now, Peter, as you said earlier, with the Brandon Cooks trade, giving up pick number 57 in a draft that runs so deep with quality, young, cheap receivers. And there is going to be that apples to apples, the receiver they could have had at pick number 57, and they have Brandon Cooks instead. And can he stay healthy? Can he earn his money? Can he even begin to replace DeAndre Hopkins? The, 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 what they do with the picks they have, and, and they've got a reduced load as well because of what happened with the Tunsil trade and also the Hopkins trade, but what he does with the picks and undrafted free agency, the guys he finds to make that team better, it's going to go a long way towards shaping how we view Bill O'Brien as a general manager, even if it doesn't put him on the hot seat immediately. Yeah, my third guy is going to be Bob Quinn of the Lions. You know, 27-36-1 without a playoff win in four seasons. Made the playoffs his first year. Uh, and and look, it, nothing is only one person's fault. But I think the Lions, you know, if they, if they struggle uh, this year, I think it's both he and Matt Patricia are going to be in trouble. You know, the owner has basically said, hey, they're back this year. We need to win. And so they're in the same situation that so many teams are. But I look at the Lions, and, and I don't want to be repetitive, but I'm really bothered by the fact that, you know, they couldn't make peace and find a way to keep Darius Slay. Those are the kind of building blocks you have to keep, not the kind that you need to let walk out the door. And I don't care what your compensation was, but now that you do have that extra compensation— uh, e even though they don't replace the player, now that you have that compensation, you better get some. Uh, you better hit some doubles and triples in this draft if you're Bob Quinn. And even though it is a Bob Quinn Matt Patricia combination, and both guys have responsibility for where the Lions are, this was Bob Quinn's vision from the moment he got there, and he had Jim Caldwell, and he kept him around for a couple of years but then eventually brought in the guy that he wanted to hire right out of the gates, the guy that he's had that relationship with. This is what he envisioned. This is what he wanted for the Lions, and it's either going to work or it's not. And so far, it's not, and this draft is going to go a long way toward determining whether or not they can convince Martha Firestone Ford and the people advising her that they should get another year to keep this system moving. And, and look, Peter, in the defense of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, they are trying to turn around six decades of crap in Detroit. It's a bad culture. It's a bad team. It's a bad organization. And you get a lot of people there who are resisting the kind of changes that Quinn and Patricia are attempting to make. But at some point, you got to win or they're going to go find somebody else to try to make those changes because you're going to get run out. Bill Belichick would have been run out of New England in three years if he hadn't won. You can't have that approach that Patricia and Quinn have had if you don't have some success. All right, last one for me. Les Snead. 
the GM of the Rams. And Peter, I've never really known how much juice Les Snead has. He was handpicked by Jeff Fisher to set the table back in 2012. He survived the firing of Fisher. And between Sean McVay and Les Snead, and Sean McVay is not the kind of guy to wear his authority on his sleeve, I kind of think that McVay is pulling a lot more strings than we give him credit for when it comes to the roster. But Snead's going to have to do something because he's going to take the fall if this roster continues to fall apart. Somebody's taking the blame for the horrendous Todd Gurley contract, for the horrendous Brandon Cook's decision, for the much too inflated Jared Goff contract, for the decision to trade for Jalen Ramsey, give up two ones and a four and not get him signed to a long-term deal. Somebody's got to take that heat. And so for Les Snead to avoid being the guy who takes that heat, he better set the table and have a good draft for the Rams this year with the pieces they have in place. Again, all the guys I've picked have one hand tied behind their back, but that's no excuse. You've still got to go forward and find contributors with your team. It's not enough to say, well, you know, our Jalen Ramsey's our first-round pick. you still got to go out and find players because Jalen Ramsey may not be there next year. And uh, if you want to be there next year, you better have some guys on that field that are making up for the guys you had to run off because you gave them contracts that you ended up regretting. Yeah, I think this is a this is almost a seminal year for the Rams coming up. Um, and let's assume you play 16 games, but it's a seminal year for the Rams because this is the retooled Rams. Okay, this is the team that is starting to say, okay, all right, so we've gotten rid of Cooks, we've gotten rid of Gurley. We've gotten rid of some of that contract, although it's going to be an anchor on our cap this year. You know, we've gotten rid of some big salaries. So now the reason that this is a big draft for Les Snead, obviously, is that he has to replace at reasonable prices. You know, he's got to replace some very good players and some huge contributors over the last three years. And he's got to do it on a team that needs them to contribute right now on day one. So I think you're right. I think there's pressure. It's not only on Snead, but it's also on Sean McVay. And But Mike, I think you're right. Sean McVay is not getting fired at the end of this year. I don't think Les Snead is getting fired at the end of this year either. But he's obviously got to hit on some of these draft picks. And again, this category is not about who's getting fired necessarily, who's getting fired if you don't win this year. Like, I, I think if the if the Giants are 5-11, and 11, Gettleman goes. If the Jaguars are 4-12, and 12, Caldwell goes. Okay, but, but this isn't necessarily about who's getting fired. It is about, as you say, what GM needs to have a good draft. Les Snead needs to have a good draft. And he needs to have a good draft in large part because you need young, cheap talent, plain and simple. And when you've got so much cap space tied up and guys not on the roster and in a quarterback you overpaid, all the more reason to parlay those draft picks into young, cheap guys who become the nucleus of your team. All right, we're going to take a break. When we return, Tyrod Taylor is out to prove his doubters wrong this year. Will he actually get the chance to do it? More PFD Live right after this. Would you anticipate right now that it's most likely that Tyrod Taylor is your starting quarterback in 2020? That's what I would, that's what I would anticipate right now. And especially when you look at where we are with the offseason program, you don't know when it's going to start. 
We don't know if this is going to be a virtual program or we actually not have our guys. So um, I think for, you know, rookies at any position coming in this year, first round pick, seventh round pick, um, players coming from other teams that you signed as free agents, um, may take a little extra time to get those guys up and ready to play. Tom Telesco, Chargers GM with Peter King. You can see and hear the full interview at the Peter King podcast. And Tyrod Taylor went from four-year backup with the Ravens, who never played because Joe Flacco was able to play all the games those four seasons. And then Tyrod Taylor becomes the starter in Buffalo and then gets traded after taking the Bills to the postseason to the Browns. And he started a few games, got injured. Baker Mayfield starts playing. Then Tyrod Taylor becomes journeyman, a backup. Backed up Mayfield the rest of 2018. Backed up Phillip Rivers last year. But now Taylor, the guy who by all appearances is penciled in as the number one guy in the Chargers depth chart. He told Tyler Dunn of Bleacher Report, all I can do is show him with the next opportunity. They shouldn't have slept on me. I'm definitely motivated more than ever. I'm motivated because I'm able to show my teammates and my coaches what I'm capable of doing. Peter, look, if the Chargers could bring in Cam Newton right now and give him a full and complete physical and check out his foot and his ankle and his shoulder, would they do that? Would they kick the tires and thoroughly explore the the health of Cam Newton with the idea of maybe making him the guy if everything checked out? Probably, Mike. Probably, but not certainly. And I think one of the reasons is that Anthony Lynn in this odd year, okay? Anthony Lynn really, I mean, one of the favorite players, one of his favorite players on the team is Tyrod Taylor. Been an excellent soldier, uh, has been a great team guy, really helped Phillip Rivers, um, and and was a good, you know, team backup guy, okay? And I think he believes that Tyrod Taylor, based on what he saw in Buffalo in that playoff season, and based on the kind of guy he's been with this team, which is kind of sort of what Teddy Bridgewater was in New Orleans. Um, I think he he wants to give Tyrod Taylor this shot. And I'm not saying it's forever. And you make a very interesting point. If they could have a blank slate with uh, Cam Newton and they could do it right now, would they do it? They might. But I don't think it's certain just because of the way Anthony Lynn feels about Tyrod Taylor. And I keep coming back to my belief that the Chargers need to embrace the fact that they are in L.A. And I understand that they think they're going to draw in fans if they win games. And even the concept of drawing in fans seems alien right now because of the reality that we're inhabiting but the idea of getting people to follow the team watch them on tv buy the jerseys cam newton is a guy that can do it and even if they go 12 and 4 with tyrod taylor i don't think that's enough to win the battle in la and and maybe the disintegration of the rams is the best thing that's happening to the chargers maybe by default if the chargers can win they'll start converting some fans but to me it makes it even more sensible to pursue a cam newton if they can come to the point where they're they're uh, confident that he's going to be healthy and able to contribute. But, you know, I, and I don't want to downplay Tyrod Taylor's abilities. He has shown he can win, Peter. I just don't know how far he can take a team. We've seen Cam Newton take a team to a Super Bowl. It's right, Mike. And you just, the reason, the only reason that I put the asterisk on that, and I say probably they would do a deep dive into Cam Newton. It's because, look, go back to when I talked to him late last July, early August in training camp, 
in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He talked openly to me about being a different quarterback. And he liked the fact that as he got into his 30s that he has seen guys like Peyton Manning and, and other older quarterbacks adjusting their games. And so he was looking forward to that. And that's why, because you really don't know what Cam Newton is going to be as a player. Is he going to be that guy who is the MVP Cam, who's going to run around and, and, and who's going to risk getting hit a lot? Or does he want to stay in the pocket more? And those are the kind of things, unless you do that deep dive, you just don't know. Quick break from one veteran quarterback with plenty of health issues to an incoming rookie who has plenty of health issues. Tua Tonga-Vailoa had a virtual pro day on Thursday. How much can teams really take away from that? We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Racing Week in America continues today with Daytona Speed Day. We'll focus on the most exciting NASCAR and Supercross races from the World Center of Racing, including highlights from this year's 24 Hours of Daytona. It all starts tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern, only on NBCSN. Happy birthday, Hall of Fame coach John Madden, the greatest football broadcaster of all time, the guy whose name will be on the premier NFL video game for decades to come. There are kids now who play, and they don't know who Madden is. Well, Madden, John Madden, Great coach, Super Bowl champion, great broadcaster, Peter. We say happy birthday to John Madden. The greatest thing for for everybody, all the young people, they know Madden because of the Madden game. And when I think of John Madden, I think of all that stuff, but I also think he's the guy who says, you know, at night when the lights get turned off in the Hall of Fame, all the bus talk to themselves and we talk about what a great game it was. And that, to me, is the real John Madden. He reveres pro football. Do you think they snub O.J. Simpson? No. No, because it's <laughs> only about football. <laughs> okay, well, that's a, fair, that's a fair point. Fair point. The bus don't know. The bus aren't aware of the things that happened after the bus arrived. Uh, Tua Tonga Vailoa hopes to have a bus in the Hall aware. of Fame someday. He had a virtual pro day workout on Thursday. And look, they're doing what they can, Peter, to convince people he's fine. But this is still the biggest physical risk in the draft. Somebody burns a top 10 pick onto a Tonga Valoa. They are rolling the dice that he's going to continue to get injured or that hip isn't going to be 100%. Everybody knows that two is fine now in terms of being able to do everything you ask him to do. And, and, you know, Lee Steinberg, Chris Cabot, his agents, they're very good agents and they're doing all the right things. But this is not the issue about Tua. Tua's issue is going to be when Jadavian Clowney is steaming in on him and piles on top of him. Is he going to hold up? Those are the big things that everybody around the NFL want, wants to know, and they're not going to know until this fall. Three lower body injuries at the college level. Uh, we got to go. We'll see you Monday. Have a great weekend. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, 
I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.